Okay, so when I was a kid growing up, back when we lived in a real country, kids went outside and played. We didn't talk to girls, and we just, we played men's games, you know? And men's games, they included uh, finding a stick and wandering around in the woods in the backyard, pretending that it was a sword. The sole purpose of my existence was to find something vaguely phallic-shaped, pick it up and say, this is a sword, and I'm going to whack my neighbors with it. And so every day we lived right by the woods, I would go out in the woods and I would grab a sword and me and my neighbors would fight. And then one day this little villain from down the street named, and he doesn't listen to this, so named Tyler Freebairn. He was a few years younger than me. I mean, I should have known with a name like Freebairn. It's like six years younger than you. He was a child. No, because I drove him to high school my senior year. So he's only two years younger than me. Okay. Um, so I was 10 and he was eight. And Tyler was playing 4D chess when the rest of us were playing whack-a-mole with sticks. Because he would show up and he'd say, I would love to play, guys. And we'd say, great, find a stick and we'll whack each other. And he went, no, 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 no. I will be the shopkeeper. And we went, what? What is the shopkeeper? He's like, you know, in Zelda, when you have to go to the shopkeeper to buy your weapons, we were like, yeah. He's like, that's a super fun part, right? And we're like, no, but okay. He's like, no, 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 hear me out, hear me out. He's like, it's super fun because you have to like earn, you get XP. We're like, okay, this sounds fun. He's like, so basically I'd like to introduce that into our game in the backyard. We were like, huh? He's like, so give me all of the weapons. We were like, okay. So we give him all the sticks and this little fucking capitalist turned around and was like, you can now earn points by doing simple tasks. And once you get enough points, you can have these back. And we were like, huh? And he's like, for instance, if you take out the trash at my house, five points and with five points, you can buy a sword. And so this little skeever had us doing his chores to earn back our toys so we could continue hitting each other with sticks in the backyard. And this went on for years. We are not... Once we had the weapons back, he convinced us that we had to purchase imaginary upgrades for our weapons. Again, we were hitting each other with sticks. And he would say, well, Austin's stick does hit a little harder because he did an extra chore. And I'd be like... Not on my watch. What else do I have to do? He's like, now paint the fence. This little Tom Sawyer ass down the street, Tyler Freeburn, had me participating in capitalism at the ripe old age of 10 so that I could live in my fantasy world in the backyard. And so if you too were swindled into a capitalist ploy by an eight-year-old in your backyard in Layton, Utah, Bone is one of the best escapist comics for you because no one makes the bones buy their weapons or participate in capitalism to play the game just me just i had to do that because of tyler freebairn and it was okay though because one time tyler decided that he was not going to be the shopkeeper and he was going to play and so we were walking around in the field behind our house and i stepped unknowingly on a stick And Tyler immediately began to wail and scream and cry. And I was like, what, what? He was like, that stick was going to be my sword. 
that was a special stick. And I was like, huh? And he went, that's it. Go home. And I said, Tyler, this is my house. You go home. And I've carried that with me for years now, that this kid tried to send me home at my own house. And that's my story for today. There you go. Be real. Tyler is the phony bone of your story. He is the phony <laughs> bone of my story. I was smiley bone. No. Austin was phone bone. And Tyler was phony bone. He was selling us rotten prune tarts and <laughs> making us buy our toys back when he was younger and weaker than us. I honestly, I hope he's successful now. Like, if I find out that he's not doing anything important, I'll be upset because he's been a swindler from day one. He has been. I was just being thorn. I was doing hot girl shit, so it's yeah. fine. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't invited to the to the forest. Uh, free forest could have come. You know, you, if you would have wanted to play, you could have just went and made your own forest. <laughs> you didn't have to spoil ours with girls. That's all right. I'm good. Get not getting caught in barbed wire fences. I'm fine. Oh, dog. Yeah, there was this one time I almost died because I was back there in the woods. Yeah, I was back there in the woods with this girl and I was like trying to get it on. And I was traipsing along and I stepped right into a barbed wire fence and it like, it was rusty because it was like buried and like dug into my leg. And I was like, oh, and I like, I just thought my leg was like caught on a branch. So I like yanked really hard. So it just like gashed down my leg. It was like pouring blood rusty metal had like carved my leg open but i was still trying to get my beak wet and so i was like it's fine nothing wrong let's make out with my bloody leg and she was like okay and so then i was embarrassed and so i didn't tell anyone and so like three days later i was struck with a fever that i was like i think i'm going to die and my dad it was in the middle of church that it finally hit me that i was like i think i'm gonna die and my dad was like you're not getting out of church that easy idiot and i was like this is real. <laughs> I was like clammy and like sweating and like could barely walk. My so vision was, like, was starting. I was starting to get like tunnel vision. My dad's like, Mm-mm. three hours of church means three hours of church, bitch. Come on. If we all have to be here, you have to be here. So I sit through church. And then at the end of the church, I'm like, please take me to the hospital. And then they don't. And then they were like, you're being dramatic. And I get home and I'm like laying on the bed, like seeing angels. <laughs> like father. I have a confession. The other day I was trying to get my beak wet. And in the process, I may have gotten tetanus. And I think I'm going to die. And he was like, huh? And we went to the doctor and the doctor was like, bro, you're going to die. And they had to like rush me into the ER to like flush my system and bring me back from the brink of death. So that was the second most painful thing I ever felt after my itchy <laughs> butthole in the icy hot. <laughs> Was nearly dying from and rusty then, barbed and wire. Then he out there the sandwich. And then, yeah, while I was super high on the medicine, the doctor came in and said, "Is there anything else like we can do for you?" And I was like, "I would love a spicy chicken sandwich." <laughs> and the doctor was like, "We can't really do that. You're on a lot of medicine. You can't really eat." And I just started to cry. It's like real big gator tears. Like Seventeen. And yeah, I'm 17 years old. I'm just sobbing. The doctor's like, "What?" And I was like, "I just want a sandwich." And then and our parents, in all of their gusto, years. let it rip. The biggest laugh you've ever seen. And my yeah, so mom still you. is like, "That's my that was my worst moment as a parent. I laughed at my son wanting a sandwich while he was on drugs. 
they've been laughing at me for years that I cried. I literally cried for a sandwich. That's my my peak. Well, thank you for that. <laughs> I feel like Anne's just disappointed. Every every story time with Dallas, we leave with Anne liking me less. <sighs> just the sigh. It's the sigh from Anne every sigh. single time. Oh, I'm not upset. I'm just just disappointed. disappointed. <laughs> Y'all are the worst. All right. Well, let's free me from this. Roll theme nope. music. All right. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Comics Collective, the weekly podcast where we read and discuss a collection of comic books or a graphic novel. I'm your host, Dallas. I'm Alexis. And I'm Anne. And for today's episode, we will be going back to Alexis's pick, Bone, by Jeff Smith. Ah, oh my gosh, Bone. Ah, part two, part two, part, part two. two. Yeah, two so for... For anyone that missed it, last month we covered the first three volumes of Bone. This week we will be covering volumes four through six, and next month we will be covering volumes seven through nine of Jeff Smith's 55-issue epic. So yeah, sometimes we make Alexis read all 52 issues of 52 in a week, and other times we let her read 55 issues of Bone over the course of three months. And there's really no line between no in between nope. there is and there's no, no there rhyme is a or reason line. It's to who it who decides to do it <laughs> me that is true when i decide we are normal when dallas decides i want to commit mass murder of these she, two she commits suicide as me and Anna are like isn't it great it was so fun just sitting there shaky with a cup of coffee heavy metal music on the background like that was easy that was so easy i did that no problem see the best part though is that Anne also does the good work of promoting these books. Mm -hmm. And so I'm just like cruising reading. Alexis is pretending to read. And Anne is reading, coming up with memes, posting, and then dealing with all of you idiots that are like, <laughs> they're like, well, actually, um, you're misunderstanding the comic. This is not a good representation of how you're feeling about that page of that comic, Anne, Banana Man. Banana Man. Uh, everyone who came into my mentions to tell me how good Mark Wade's run was to sue find me in the parking lot after class wrong it's like oh, homies we made a pretty compelling argument for like 30 minutes as to why you're wrong my favorite was like you must not have read the whole run it's like yeah. bro we read i read it all in a week bitch. i read the whole run <laughs> everyone read it if it's i like, can do it everybody else for sure did it it's like that's one of the only ones we're allowed to gatekeep girl boss <laughs> it's true <laughs> Uh, it's been good. Yeah. I, I felt bad about this. I always feel bad about reading the ones in print because I can't push them as much because I don't have the time to pull out my phone and take pictures of panels every two seconds. Mm -hmm. So I definitely, this is one of the more fun ones for me to binge because I can just actually get engrossed in the story. And I went through these three volumes like they were nothing. Mm -hmm. All right. So before we get into the meat of the episode, do you two want to talk about your experience reading Bone this week? Walk me through, what is your comic situation? Do you like, cuddle up with the book do you like dim the lights do you, are you someone that listens to music while you read do you have a snack tell me about reading bone well you go first Anne, because i oh. am gonna be grumpy 
<laughs> oh, I'm excited for grumpiness. Um, mine, my bone experience is I always like to settle down right before I go to bed with a good solid novel or a bunch of graphic novels. And I just, I literally all this week on my bed, I had like a whole murders row of comics. I had my entire two read stack, which has not gone down in the last three weeks. I had the detective comics omnibus. Don't tell anyone who's reading Batman. I will end you. And I also had velvet by Ed Brubaker there because I'm like, this is big and impressive. Dallas has the puppet out. I need, I need you to understand. Damn Muppet. The damn Muppet. (laughs) Damn Damn Muppet. Am I a man? <laughs> You're a muppet of a man. That is the scariest I, thing I've ever seen. I Very can't, manly muppet. I can't believe I have to exist in the same apartment as that thing this week. You Gosh. know that he's going to hide it. You know. Be prepared. I, I'm expecting full full tilt. I'm expecting to wake up one morning and the thing's going to be like in the air mattress next to me and I'm going to scream and it's wake everyone be all up. in the air mattress next to you when you get there. It's going to be waiting for you. It is the best Susan deterrent. So you basically get to decide between Susan sleeping on your face or the Muppet in your bed. Oh my so God. your two options. Susan does like to practice her hair braiding skills that while is, you sleep. That oh. is the worst would you rather have. Anyways, <laughs> um, entire Murders Row books beside me so I can keep switching out whenever I feel like changing the current topic. Um, cuddled under a blanket, kitty cat right next to me purring the whole time. That's my ideal reading situation. And I just read until my eyes get heavy and I'm ready to go to sleep. Except for yesterday, because I had two whole volumes to get through because I was so pressured for time. And I binged that in no time at all. So love it. everything's good. I love that. So for mine specifically today, um, I had all, I'm going to be honest, for our first chunk that we did last month, I read the entire thing. So I had to go back and reread these volumes specifically. So I did that this morning. Wait, you read all you read all of Bone last yeah. month, mm-hmm. like all nine volumes. Yep. So you know how it ends. I, I don't know how it ends. I you do. pulled a saga. You I did. I did. Well, I read it after we recorded the last one because I was very curious. But so I had to go back and remind myself of what, like, where it started and where it ended, basically, and. So I pulled it out this morning. Ah, it wasn't really this morning. It was about like 2, 2 p.m. today. And I just started reading. It was great. I started at – I like to sit at the kitchen table with this one because I've got the full big volume, so it's kind of hard for me to hold. So I like had it out on the table. I had my little notes. And Carson was asleep, so it was extra great. It was dead silent. Juno was asleep. And then about halfway through, Carson wakes up. And when Carson wakes up, he is an attention whore. So, here he comes, pittering over to see me, like like a little child, the one that I love the most. And he just slides a sticky note. There's nobody here. I'm not doing anything other than reading. He slides a sticky note saying, what are you doing? (laughs) I said, obviously reading. (laughs) Like, we can have a conversation. I can look up. I can talk to you. I'm not doing anything other than reading right now. And then he goes, oh, okay. And walks away. And I can see him because the living room and the dining room are the same room, just separated by different rugs. So (laughs) I can see him sitting on the freaking couch looking at me for a good 45 minutes. He just staring at me. He will throw the dog toy (laughs) at me. (laughs) And And so he started playing fetch with me. 
So he would throw the dog toy at me, hit me in the head, and I would throw it back. So the dog would be running between the two of us. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What is going on right now? And then finally, 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 I finish. And I'm going to go a little over into what happened next. But he goes, can we make dinner before you record your podcast? I said, yes. So I walk into the kitchen. And then he proceeds to keep throwing things at me. So I turn around and I sprayed him with the the sink water. And that was the end of it. That was my afternoon. Love it. If, if that's what most of your afternoons are like, I, I really understand why it takes until Sunday morning now. <laughs> I, I get it. it. Literally, yes. My And I go, let me have my one hobby. As I throw the toy back at him. <laughs> oh, that's fantastic. That's what love is, folks. Yep. It's a partner not understanding your comics exception, <laughs> obsession and working to foil it. Actively working to foil it. I like that. It sounds cozy, annoying, and... For me, I I read on the train. I read at work sometimes when there's nothing going on. But the bulk of my reading happens on Saturday and Sunday morning in bed while my wife takes a little sleepy. Because I am just hardwired to wake up at 4.30 now for work. And so Saturday morning, my eyes open at 4.30 in the morning. And I'm like, I have exactly seven hours until my wife is awake. So pitter-patter around the house and read my things <laughs> i hope you run like that how you just demonstrated i i hope your hands flop like that i, I need you actually pitter and patter i pitter and patter and when you're out here you'll hear on a saturday morning you'll be like what is that pitter pattering it'll be me at 4 30 like pitter 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 patter 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 thank you jimbo oh my gosh you're in for such a treat. I'm you're so have excited. So much fun. I'm so I'm so jealous. Yeah, everyone, when you're listening to this tomorrow, Anne is coming to visit me in New York City. I'm so excited. <laughs> we get to record next episode of about die in the same apartment together. Oh, so exciting. Remember how when how I did that, do that? I just passed away. What's up? Remember how when we did that, I just like passed away in the background. <laughs> Yeah, you just slowly died. I am <laughs> uh, so allergic to his damn cat. I was literally having a life or death experience in the back of that damn podcast. <laughs> She's just wheezing. Just <laughs> <sighs> I'm gonna be pacing behind you, and I'm just gonna lean into the mic and say, "And another thing, <laughs> and, and another one." Yep, <laughs> another one. Oh. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, now that you're 18 minutes and 48 seconds in, dear listener, maybe we'll talk about Bone. Nah. Uh, we'll think about it. All right. So to intro a little bit, I would love to talk about Jeff Smith and Bone and sort of the creation of Bone. So for those of you that don't know, Bone is one of the rare examples in comics where one person truly did it all. Mm -hmm. Jeff Smith is the artist inker he's pencil inker writer letterer and the driving force behind publication of bone when this comic came out in 1991 there was not the robust independent comic scene of today this book was largely a trailblazer as jeff smith pushed to get his comic book published 
in single issues right alongside the big two comics at a time when that was certainly not something that was going on. Um, so I'm saying image comics didn't even exist yet. The break hadn't happened yet between Marvel and its artists that created image. So truly like wild West cowboy and this book, it did pretty okay. Like it was, it won awards. Obviously people liked it, but it wasn't this publication juggernaut that it was yet. Um, I recently read some interviews with Jeff Smith where he talked about how much he and Neil Gaiman in particular were really pushing to try and get women and children interested in comic books again Mm -hmm. because they realized that they only were hitting like a third of the demographic that they could be by just catering to middle-aged men, which surprise uh, companies could learn from still to this day. If you aim at a broader audience than 40-year-old crybaby men, you will sell more comic books. Look at Bone and look at the work of Neil Gaiman. They sell way more than all the other crap. You can have a sexy battle princess and she can be fully clothed, but still have the same effect. (laughs) As hot damn thorn. War, War paint and all. Oh, the war paint was so cool. Okay, I can't. We will we will get to characters. Um, so yeah, Jeff Smith. He worked on it until roughly 2004, just working and publishing himself. And then, in a move that had never happened before, Scholastic reached out to Jeff Smith following his work getting the first six issues of Bone published in Disney Adventure Magazine. So Jeff got in contact with people at Disney. There was Adventure Magazine that had a readership of 6 million people a month. And so Bone was a huge seller at 100,000 issues a month. That's huge. That's like Batman numbers today. Back then it was a little different. But he went from 100,000 people seeing a thing to 6 million people seeing his thing a month. And that was just the first six issues. And so that was a huge jump. And then Scholastic reached out and they said, we love Bone. Will you help us start a graphic novel imprint? So he was literally the first graphic novel novelist to work with Scholastic and trailblazed that whole sector. We don't have things like Diary of a Wimpy Kid without Bone. We don't have things like Dogman, the current best-selling superhero comic in the world, Dogman by Scholastic Comics, doesn't exist without Bone. The sales juggernaut, Raina Tagelmeier, the best-selling comic book creator in the world, Raina Tagelmeier, does not have her work at Scholastic without Bone. And so in 2004, Jeff Smith works with Scholastic to release colored versions of his work because he said that his end goal was always to move away from single issues in comic stores into books that could be on a shelf in a library and he accomplished that and so if you dear listener like to read your comic books in trade paperbacks if you found a comic book at a library or if you're one of the thousands of people whose very first exposure to comics was bone you have jeff smith and his trailblazing to thank for that and all of his hard work And he is about to do it again as Bone is currently being adapted by Netflix to be an animated series that will will follow the exact same pacing of the show. 
So since the 1990s, Bone has been bounced around studios as Jeff Smith continues to ref- continued to refuse to let the whole story be played out over 90 minutes. He said it wouldn't work. He wasn't going to put 1,300 pages in 90 minutes. And so a few years ago, when the rights came back to him, Netflix reached out and said, we would like to do an extended animated series covering Bone at the pace that you think is most appropriate. So he is currently, for the last two years, he has been working on writing, rewriting Bone as an animated series for Netflix. And so a whole new generation will be introduced to these wonderful characters that we love so much. Screw the new generation. I'm excited. Are you kidding? It's going to be incredible. I love I'm very cartoons. excited. Oh, I am very happy. I'm very very excited to see how it translates and I think it's going to be a big hit. Yeah, I'm still writing that arcane high, so if they get like half the quality of that, that's Netflix's animated stuff is really cool. So I'm just thinking about like things like the current or the recently wrapped up DuckTales that was so amazing, mm-hmm. like I think this cartoon has is going to be great. And I think it's something that people are really going to love and enjoy. And it's just fun to see Jeff Smith continue to get his bag. It was funny. In one of the interviews oh, yeah. I read, yeah, he, he talked, he was like, I kind of thought Bone was going to be over. He's like, as I was writing those last few chapters in 2004, I was like, huh, this is closing a chapter. And then he's like, in 2021, he's like, I don't remember the last time I wasn't going to an elementary school in the middle of a week to be like, who wants to hear about Bone? And the kids are like, ah. It's like the Oprah of tiny children. I was just going to say, he's like Oprah for kindergarten. You get Bone. You get Bone. Everybody gets Bone. And the kids are like, ah. Oh, hail almighty. Yeah, so there is a little bit of the history of Jeff Smith and Bone for you, dear listeners. That is so fun. I did not know that. That's awesome. Oh. That's me. That's me. I had scrolled down too far. I said, Anne, hello. Hello. That's me. We're going off a script, dear listener, and I didn't miss my line. Just so, just so we're clear here. Bro, I was too busy casual. playing with my keys. All right, leave me alone. <laughs> that, this is neat. This is cool. Just it's great. This is really great fun. But yeah, no, I have been given the task. I love how I was assigned. I always get assigned tasks. <laughs> Never willingly ask for them. But I have been given the task of You've giving. You've been voluntold. I have been phone told. <laughs> that was horrible. Um, I will give a... I'm surprised it says three minutes. Did not see that. It's probably not going to be three minutes. Well, um, I just meant like three minutes for each volume. So like nine minutes. Do oh, good. All right, Anne, kick up your feet. We'll we'll hear from you at the 30-minute mark. Um, for most of our listeners that are here strictly for Anne, um, sorry. It's true. 90% of them. She literally kicked up her feet. This woman. <laughs> this woman. I, I'm waiting. We'll, we'll be fine. It's all right. It's all right. I'm here for it. Right, we'll go grab a snack and a cat. Go on. <laughs> Bring the cat. All right. So here is my slight overview of the first, well, not the first, the middle three volumes that we read today. So, so we start off with volume four. Oh, Dallas grabbed his Muppet. That's frightening. <laughs> But um, we start off with our familiar bunch of characters. 
We've got phone bone, smiley bone, and phony bone all starting off in um, – we've got two main groups starting off with this first one. So we've got smiley and phony in the little town with Lucius. They've started off with their battle of the bars, basically, from my understanding. And we've got phone, grandma, and thorn setting off through the woods. And we kind of get to see the interesting comparisons between the two groups because we get the switch back and forth with them. But we see most of the um, the town group with Smiley and Phony and how they basically are winding all of the villagers up into a frenzy. They're going off about dragons and how dragons are bad and just making everybody freak the F out basically. Um, while Lucius is trying to kind of help minimize that while saying like, Oh, dragons aren't real. Dragons aren't real. What are you talking about? They're not real, but they very much are. And they are very, they're very fun. And they stink apparently according to the book. But, um, we also, with that, where we see, um, grandma and thorn and bone, our favorite bone. I love how I, I, I refer to him and only him as Bone. Don't know why. Probably because he's on the cover, but Phone. Phone Bone. I think it's appropriate to just call him Bone. Yeah, he is the, he's the main. He's the main Bone. He's the cutest. And I think nicest. you are muted. Oh, Anne is muted. We miss some classic Anne Snark, folks. Damn. This is brutal. Oh, I think muted. it's I think it's muted in Zencaster. I don't think it's on your mic. <laughs> snark has been forgotten i'm embarrassed <laughs> that's all right that's all right but um with this first volume we really get a huge chunk of knowledge about thorn and where she came from and basically like what she is if that makes sense um grandma tells thorn that she is and bear with me because it's like broken up into three words of what she is but a veni yakari and basically what that means she's referred to as um an awakened one and with that she can see between the two different worlds of this valley of this community and this world that there are there's the waking world and the dreaming world and basically everybody can see into the waking world like that's our normal reality that we're in but the dreaming world is this mystical um other world where they're where everybody's connected and by dreams mm-hmm. and we see this realization with thorn and how honestly hard she takes it from grandma she did not want to hear it she gets upset she runs away and with that they are separated from grandma grandma ben goes missing and with all of this, they um, come into a meetup with the rat creatures and um, the true main characters of this narrative. Keisha the heart of the story. Keisha and Grouchy are back. Keisha and Grouchy. I forgot we named them Keisha and Grouchy. <laughs> it's because they, we, if you read, if people are actually reading this comic, you'll know which one's which. 100%. Oh, absolutely. 100%. That is their names. Everyone, leave me alone. I also like, in the colored version, they're two different colors. But even in black and white, 
I know which I know one which is which. which. See, I was going to ask because I'm reading the colored versions and I'm like, I'm so glad they're colored because I'm not sure if I can follow if I didn't know. Oh, you know. Oh, you know. No, yeah. There okay. is no no awesome. mystery who is who. <laughs> Keisha is very. Yeah, is Keisha a little? <laughs> just a little. <laughs> Keisha is a little. <laughs> it's true. It's true. This is our LGBTQ book of the month. <laughs> it really is. For Ms. Keisha. Keisha. Oh, Keisha, Keisha and Grandma Ben are our reps. Mm-hmm. True. Yep. Love it. I, as the resident queer, I can, yeah, you yeah. can have that one. We, queer, we, we'll claim them. The queer stamp of approval. <laughs> Love it. I'm going to start claiming one Mormon character and everything. Oh, hell no. um, Phony Bone is a Mormon. <laughs> Take him. <laughs> you can have him. <laughs> All yours. You you can, can, we were going to give them to you for free. You would tell me I'd go to hell for a nose piercing. Fine. You do me a favor, I do you a favor. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, but with that, we get this very dramatic fight scene between our main three characters before the major split end. We see Thorn kind of act on her, um, like her instincts of being this mystic main character that we're kind of being alluded to and she actually cuts off the arm of the major rat king mr king duck she slices and i love how we also see after this keisha and grumpy trying to put leaves on his arm (laughs) like he's dead he's dead run away run away they're like (laughs) they're like wait if we just go away now, he we, we, we he won't be here when he wakes up angry. Yeah. Wet comrade. I like that they call each other comrade. comrade. That's such a great touch. Comrade, yes, comrade. Yes. If we just leave him to die, he will be dead. He will stand no chance. True. Yeah, because they are um, the defectors. Like, they've, they've run off. These two are just doing their own little thing. Crimes against rat kind. I love it. These two are wild. They're they're the funniest part of this whole damn book. I'm sorry. Especially because they're supposed to be so freaking scary. Well, all the other ones are. They like, really every are. Every other rat creature that shows up, I'm like, oh no. Not every but other one. S- somehow, when our little gentlemen show up, I'm like, oh, we're in for a good time. <laughs> we have no proof that any other rats can speak other than King Doc and these two. That's true. Whomst. They were... When the two like the two herds like converge, oh, they're like, what, right. "What the hell are you doing?" It's like, "Oh, we're gonna." Did you hear King Dog's dead? We're going that way, and they're like, "Okay, fine, we'll follow you too." Well, let's go. Can you imagine if Lord of the Rings had two zany orcs? <laughs> It'd be so much better if they had their their. What was it in Star Wars? The like tag and bank, I think, with the stormtroopers that were the comic relief, mm-hmm. or the dumb I, pirates. Remember them? The dumb pirates. Every, everything needs its dumb duo of villains. Mm-hmm. Yep, mm-hmm. Keisha and Grumpy. Mm-hmm. Love it, but I still can't get over them trying to bury their king with leaves. <laughs> They're just like run away, hide forever. They just like sprint off into the woods. But um, after everybody kind of goes off into the woods to help rescue Grandma Ben, um, Thorn, and Phone, and Phone, um, the villagers all leave. They hear them screaming. They run off into the woods, and shit kind of hits the fan. Um, Lucius goes missing. He goes to try and find Grandma Ben. Um, Phony and Smiley find Phone and Thorn, and they bring them back into the city where 
Bony has taken over as a little evil overlord where he basically steals everybody's food. <laughs> he makes them pay tithing with their food, which I love. Mm-hmm. It's great. Classic, it's great. classic Mormon rep. Yep. <laughs> tithing. Tithing right there. But, um, yeah, so he takes everybody in. He gives this spiel of, like, this is my plan. We're getting out of here. We're going to trick all these people because they think I can slay dragons. So I'm going to steal all their shit and drive up into the into the mountains and leave. And with this, um, Phone makes a discovery as he's trying to basically run away. He's running into the woods, and he stumbles across... Our little fluffy man, who has not a name yet, but we will get there. But we, he stumbles across a baby rat creature who, for a little context, is very soft and has little <laughs> fluffy feet and a little and little slouchy ears. I want full-size plushie right now. Ooh, I want to oh, cuddle with it every night. It's so cute. You know the best part of the Netflix series will be there will be bone merch. Like <gasps> we will absolutely be able to get little plush bones and little plush rat creatures and if we don't all three of us get grouchos and quiches i will be disappointed i was thinking like each one of us should get one of the tree one of the trio oh, well, so that way who we is have, who the, i mean i i very clearly have an idea of who is who okay well well pitch it, pitch it. who's who i mean alexis as the protagonist of this podcast is phone Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Um, Anne as the lovable goofball. It's beautiful. And the tall is and Smiley. <laughs> and as the villain of the podcast. You are a villain. <laughs> I am you phony. I As the one that gets us into all the trouble. That's like, we're going to read all of Fantastic Four. We're going to read all of Fantastic Four in one week. That's villain behavior. And I, I think I'm phony, Bone. I'll admit it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I found nothing wrong with that. I think it's yeah, perfect. That, that, goes, that goes. That makes sense. Yuck, yuck. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. But basically, we have Phone and Smiley smuggle this baby mouse into... He's not a rat. He's a mouse. <laughs> he's a mouse creature. But they smuggle him into the barn and keep him there under the hay bales, which I love. Because just there's multiple times where this mouse should have been caught, but he was mm-hmm. just stuffed into a hay bale. And I was like, Smiley... This is Smiley's doing, hundred <laughs> percent. And and would hide the little. That sounds creature. like something I would do. I would definitely find a wild animal and keep it. <laughs> yep, you have a ferret. I have <laughs> you a ferret. Do that. <laughs> Classic ferret girl behavior. <laughs> I mean, honestly, yeah. It tracks. It tracks. It's cute. It's fluffy. It likes to be a little mischievous, but um. At the same time, we see this very telling scene with Thorn, and her dreams are progressively getting worse. She's seeing this hooded figure that's really scaring the shit out of her and trying to get her to go into this terrible cave, and she just can't sleep. She keeps freaking out, and she's super upset at her grandma for leaving her because she's like, I don't know where you went. You ditched me. You told me all this information, and now I just have to sit here and deal with it. So she's pretty upset, and... um. Um, she basically she just takes off into the woods she leaves she's like I'm going back to the farm I'm going to stay there I need to figure out my shit like I hope I can find my grandma whatever she dips and we see phony riling everybody up he's like we're gonna go get this dragon we gotta go like this is my plan we have to be 
at this place before sunrise. We have to catch this dragon before sunrise. So they, so Phony sets off with all of the villagers and Smiley and Phone set off with the baby rat creature to try and set him free in the mountains like good little bones do. And so we have all of our groups just separated out. They're all on their own. They're setting up for failure, as we all know. Don't separate in a horror movie. Stay all together. Um, and we see it kind of just goes – it's pretty quick. Like it goes back and forth between all of the stories. We see Thorn collapsing in a field. She's passing out. She's going through some major shit. And she is approached by – are they the stick men? Is that what they call them? Stick men. She's approached by the stickmen, who basically are the magic um, protectors, warriors of this old family, of this old royalty group. Like, they know her, they understand her, they know her story, and she basically has this come to, basically come to Jesus moment of, like, okay, this is my destiny, this is what I need to do, and she accepts it. And then we jump to this hilarious moment with Phony Bone, where he is setting up this dragon trap, and he's having a conversation with the little what's the little tick's name? His name Tim. I think his name's Tim. I don't remember his name. Ted, right? Ted. His name's Ted. Ted. Yep. Yes, it's Ted the Tick. That's his name. He's having this very funny conversation with Ted about how basically he ditched his cousins and he's like dude you're trying to leave and trying to go to boneville without your cousins and then all of a sudden we see the villagers they're like oh we got one we got a dragon we got one and and phony just whirls around and the red dragon is just like yep i walked right into this trap on purpose <laughs> and phony's like what the hell it's the most obvious thing in the world and he goes i know i thought that was the whole point <laughs> the red dragon is like i'm here to be supportive yeah he's like i'm trying to right you were trying to catch me so i said okay there must be a reason got nothing better dude don't have cable out here so (laughs) exactly the red dragon has very big i'm going to let you fuck up on purpose energy Mm -hmm. he Mm -hmm. like sees the bad plan happening and he's like I'm just going to let this roll out. You you know the meme of the two books where there's the thick one and the thin one? The thick one is bone as it is right now. The thin one is bone if the red dragon gave a shit for two seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's That's so true. You're, you nailed it. Yeah. He's just, he has big basset hound energy. Just does not give a fuck. I'm just like, okay. All right. Sure. I will meander into this very obvious large rope trap. And then they just quarrel about it for a good 20 minutes. And the villagers are like, what is going on? Why is our dragon slayer having a full conversation and screaming at this dragon for getting caught? Because they're not being quiet. Um, and we get this like super dramatic moment where they're like, you have to kill him. You have to get rid of him. Come on. Like, that is your whole thing. You are our dragon slayer. And we get this dramatic moment where Thorn comes up over the ridge and is like, just shining in all of her badass princess glory and is like, and frees the dragon and basically rallies up the town folk to be ready for war because they, they see basically shit hit the fan in the Valley from their standpoint. And that is the end of volume four. Love it. Comments, thoughts. 
there's so much that happens in these three volumes. Like, cause you're, you're talking about all the different plot points that happen. This is, this was a big one, especially for Thorin and her hero's journey, which I'll get into when we're done with the, this little wrap up here, but there's so much happens. There's the moment where she rejects her, her quest and then has to come back around. She wants to be with her family. This is one of the few moments in the book, by the way, when she comes back at the top of that mountain, that I think might be better in color. I would love it if one of you could send me the black and white version because the colored version of that splash page is gorgeous. Oh, I can only it imagine. It is absolutely gorgeous with like the sunset in the background. It's just like peak. And it's it's so cool how such tiny little chapters, like you, these are definitely, they definitely feel like kids' books and just the fact that they're like, what, like a hundred pages, if that. Oh yeah, that. That's a really good black and white page, but I think the color makes it better. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the only times I'm, I'm saying that about the colored versions. And it's just, th- there is more than enough in here to keep you satisfied for 100 pages. Mm-hmm. I really, I mean, I think we talked about it a little bit last time, but this book truly is for all ages. Mm-hmm. Like there is never a point where I don't think a kid could be having fun with the story. But I, as an adult, am fully enraptured. And the narrative of Bone. And the characters of Bone. And the themes of Bone. I love it. It's great. And I do have to say right off the top before I go into volume five. This was my favorite volume. Volume five was just so wholesome and so cute. And like I just loved it. Because we start off with our lovely little fluffy man Bartleby. He's like a little baby Bart. I wrote down baby Bart. That's his name. (laughs) It's a good name. It's a good name. It's a good little guy. But um, this is our little baby mouse, little baby rat creature that Phone and Smiley are trying to return into the mountains. They're basically trying to get rid of him. But I love the scenes where we see that Smiley is getting so damn attached to this little fluffy monster. He's like teaching him how to make a sandwich. And I was like, this is great. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is pure comedy right here. And we see them making their way up the mountain and they are introduced we're introduced to another character and i for the life of me don't know his actual name now it's rock jaw that's what they rock call jaw. Jaw. <laughs> you have to roll the r rock jaw i can't roll my r's so i'm i'm i can't say it he would remember he really does have a moment where he like specifically is like you have to roll the r's damn it please he has no business being a bad guy he was I, such an asshole. Every time I look at him, I was like, good guy. And every time he makes a decision, he looks I like go, Aslan. Bad good. Guy. <laughs> asshole. Asshole. I was like, you are not a stand in for Jesus in this fantasy <laughs> narrative, Mr. Lion. Yeah, he, reminded, he gave off very big Scar energy. Yes. Asshole. Except no Scar looks skeevy. They gave Scar that nice scar. They made him kind of gangly, a real scoundrel, real Peter no, Baelish Rock, vibe. Rock this has is some real mittens, if we're being honest. He has some real uh, big mittens, and he looked very nice and warm. This is Scar, but for intellectuals, because they don't spell it out on his face that he's the bad guy. Hmm. Lion King is for children, Anne. So is this. <laughs> just called out children for not being intellectual. Little roads, little road scholars are like, hmm, this giant fluffy cat, I bet it's a villain. <laughs> and they blow on their bubble pipe. Forget about it. As an adult, I was like, you're supposed to be good. You are all filled out and nice. He does kind of have like a half circle moment at the end. Doesn't make it all the way full, but just half a circle. False villainous lion behavior. 
Oh, I bet he gets a Kylo Ren redemption by the end. It's fine. Oh, Lord. Why, it's too bad we never got a conclusion for Kylo's arc. You know, like, <laughs> it's, it's a, it's a shame like, that third Star Wars movie never came out. How did they not make a sequel to The Last Jedi? It was such a good movie, and they just never finished a trilogy. It's and were weird. canceled. Thanks, Dallas. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. And moving on. <laughs> all right. But here, my favorite part of this whole damn vault. Da- yeah, mm-hmm. Dallas, keep your mouth shut. I'm going to roll right over you. I saw you sit up, and I'm not going to let you say it. But um, my favorite part of this whole volume is the possum children. And their rang their little gang of baby orphans, <laughs> which I have to say, the fact that Keisha and Grumpy ate all of their parents makes me laugh so hard. <laughs> Funniest <laughs> parents' death since the Waynes. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. And we meet lovely little Roderick the raccoon. He's so sweet and so cute. His little, the way he was drawn and his little tear when he's talking about how the rat monsters ate his parents. Can I just say, it means so much to me to see snake orphans were included in this. I really appreciate the reptile inclusion. Normally they're the, the bad guys, but just just every orphan is an orphan, Dallas. Don't look at me like that. Where did the little pig come from? They're in the forest. I don't know. That pig is really lost. His parents <laughs> deserve to really get eaten, lost. to be honest. His parents weren't eaten by the by the rat monsters. He's, just, he's, the he's like, I'm here because I have no friends. His name be Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> they go, get over here, Wiggly. He goes, Piggly Wiggly. <laughs> Why are we headcanoning the orphans? True. But I just love how how they are the ones that rescue um, Smiley Phone and Bart. Like, that's just so cute. They just... They antagonize the rat creatures to coming up onto the mountain to eat them, where we have this standoff with rock and uh, with the rock, with the rock and. <laughs> Listen, if Dwayne the Rock Johnson does not play Rokja, <gasps> okay, 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 yeah, I'm here for yeah, it. I'm here for it. It's a good fan cast. I I was gonna say Idris Elba. Oh, Idris Elba is the dragon. Oh. Okay, that also works. Yeah, Fine. Works. Fine. You can have this one. I'm fine. Who cares? I'm, I'm done. And Ben Schwartz is Ted the Bug. <laughs> ben Schwartz or Jake Johnson. Right now? I can cast this whole movie. Let's go. Chris Pratt is Bone. <laughs> Leaves podcast. <laughs> Timothy Chalamet is Phone Bone. <gasps> as Phony Bone. Yeah. That tracks. Tom Holland as um, Thorn. Thank you. <laughs> Lord. Heavens. Zendaya as Grandma Ben. Okay, perfect. There you go. Yeah, yeah there we go. There we go. That there. Makes sense. Okay, you, you, you came back around on me and you lost me for a second, but you got me back. Yeah, yeah. But another absolute favorite gold moment of Volume S- 5. Sydney Sweeney as Lucius. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> Leave her alone. <laughs> She's breasting around boobily. Yes. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. All right. This bone. This bone episode has gone out the window. <laughs> this is what happens when we record late at night. Things happen. Bro, I am not the one who put this on the schedule. Dallas is the one who just decided he didn't want to do it in the middle of the day anymore. I just want to We're hang out fair. with my wife. We'll get the hang of it. We just gotta get adjusted too. to a new sleep schedule. 
because surely everyone's asleep at eight o'clock, right? Me. And it's me. Yeah, it yeah, exactly. <laughs> but <laughs> I wasn't gonna say it, but you said it for me. Thank you. I love it. We back to my line of thought that I had, you <laughs> villains. We get to see another recycled joke of where the rat creatures jump onto a damn log on top of the cat and they tumble down into the canyon again. I love that part where they just jump on top of each other and they're like, oh, damn, did it again. And they just fall to their deaths. Just talking about the jokes in this in general, I really appreciate that a lot of the humor comes from these rat creatures because this is a book, you know, aimed for all ages. And when you have really scary villains like this that I'm sure play off a lot better in black and white than they do in color, you can have moments that can intimidate kids and put them off. But when you have these two to kind of soften that edge a little bit, like it doesn't take the menace away from them entirely. I don't think we've seen moments where these two are still pretty vicious and they're still very much a threat. But having these moments of like humanity with them where they mess up and they goof up, it makes it easier to digest i think it's something that older audiences can just read and enjoy because honestly we're not gonna be too frightened by these creatures one way or the other and it's something that makes it very accessible for younger kids and i do appreciate the intelligence of bringing back a lot of these running gags because it rewards you for reading through the entire series the the stupid stupid rat creatures line is my favorite recurring joke through the entire series it makes me laugh more than it should (laughs) It only gets funnier as it goes. Exactly. Because they don't learn. They do not learn. And that's... <laughs> I love them. And never change. Never change. All right. And so with volume six, we get the the beginning of the end, basically. We get the part where we see Thorne is taking up her mantle as princess. She's plotting. She wants to go and attack... And lash out on everybody. She's helping save the villagers. The villagers are making their way to this big cave where Lucius and Grandma Ben have set up shop. Basically, Grandma Ben has become the queen again. She's acting. She's rallying people up. And we get this pretty dramatic turning point of where we find... um, uh, We find that the the hooded figure... The, the villain it comes to Rockjaw. We see the, the hooded figure say like, hey, I need Phony and I need Thorn and I need them tonight. Bring me Phony alive. Bring me Thorn dead. I do not, like, I just need her body. We need to do this. And then the big evil cat is like, yeah, all right, cool. I can do that. And we get these like really chilling scenes of him like stalking in the background of everything. And we get this like kind of chilling moment with Thorn at the beginning of the of the volume where she tells Smiley and Phone that she doesn't really trust her grandma anymore. And I feel like that was kind of like skimmed over a little bit of like her reasoning because her grandma tells her in the original telling of the night of how her parents died, she tells Thorn that they were betrayed by a nursemaid and that's who ratted them out to the rat creatures but we get this chilling moment where she's like we did not have a nursemaid when i was growing up and i was like that was really skimmed over that was real spooky and she's like i don't trust my grandma and i'm like okay but we're just gonna we're just gonna go back to the cave now all right and 
so we get this dramatic um, buildup of Lucius taking out a team to go look for Thorn. Thorn is on her way to the cave on her own accord, and Lucius stumbles across the hooded figure in the woods, and they know each other. It's actually the hooded figure turns out to be um, Grandma Ben's sister, Briar. Briar. I don't know why I said that wrong. Briar. And Lucius has this really chilling moment where he's like, oh my gosh, like, I know you. You, I, I, like, I know you. And we get this scene where the rat creatures ambush them and overwhelm them and honestly take a lot of their force out with them. And um, we we kind of see the beginning of the end and we get this big fight scene where Rockjaw comes and he kidnaps Thorn. He takes Phony and they go to, um, they go to, with the hooded figure. They, they, he brings them to, to Briar and they go about this, um, basically a sacrifice, like this ritual of sacrificing, um, phony and we get this like terribly funny moment where we realize how they thought that phony was the one that they needed to find and if the omen the bad omen Mm -hmm. and if you will all go down memory lane with me for 30 seconds into remembering of why they got kicked out of boneville and there's a mention of a giant hot air balloon of phone bone of phony bone that basically terrorizes Boneville. And Phone and Smiley have this lovely moment together where they ask each other, didn't you deflate that? No, you neither of them deflated that. And it made its way across the desert to become a bad omen for these poor people to just basically spark a war. And so we have this funny moment where the rat creatures realize that it's a lie. It, like everything gets terrible they all she hits the fan again and they all start fighting and um we get this really dramatic moment where the locusts leave the body of briar and attack thorn and uh we see phone run as fast as he can to thorn's side with that mat with basically the magic necklace and like quickly puts it around her neck and we see the locusts disperse but when she wakes up, she kind of has this weird, like, oh, like, I don't really feel good. I feel ill. He's like, we got to get out of here. And everybody's trying to escape. And we see her at the very end of the volume grab the hooded one's cloak and put it over herself. And we kind of get this chilling moment of like, oh, shit. That, <clears throat> the dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, the dun, Yo, dun, dun moment. The shivers down my spine. Shiver me timbers. Oh. My yep. timbers were shivered. My timbers have been shivered. Fully shivered timbers. I was so <laughs> mad. I'm like, that can't be how this ends. I can't do this. What a cliffhanger. Uh, it's it's bold. It's really, really bold at the end of what I'm assuming is going to be s- something similar to like the second act turn of the story. Mm-hmm. And it's... It's definitely a departure from what I expected from Thorn, because a lot that happens here feels very much like it would be the final conflict. But Thorn is 
<laughs> KO'd for almost all of it. And then we get this moment where she gets, you know, presumably captured by the locust. What's the, what's this, the locust? Why do I want to say the locust king? I think that's. I think that's right. Correct. Is, the, is that his name? Okay. Yeah. I felt like it was something we'll more complex. We'll go with complex. it. We'll roll with we'll it. We'll go with it. The locust one. I don't know. And that sets it up for such an interesting place in the next in the next little chunk we're going to do. And Thorne has been an interesting protagonist overall. Because the story really centers on Bone. But she is, in, in terms of like the mythology and the folklore of the story, she is like the, the quote unquote, the hero. She is the like the Arthur of the story. And it's interesting to see it from that. We I talked about it a little bit last episode, but it's interesting to see that conflict unfolding mostly through like the, the POV of the bones. And it's really cool. It's a really great twist about how the prophecy on her was pretty much true. Like they knew why they needed her, but it's a really great twist that the reason they needed phony bone was because they mistook an actual parade float as some sort of mystical sign so the only reason they're involved at all is just pure stupid happenstance and the phony bone technically speaking isn't special at all and that's or at least that's the implication that we get by the end of this and that's something that's really really great because I, I was expecting, like, they, they built it up really well as we're going along where it's like, oh, Phony is supposed to be this really great leader. He's supposed to unite the valley. And it's like, well, what are you talking about? He's absolutely the most, like, self-absorbed person I've ever known. He's always in it for himself. And it's like, yeah, but he did turn everyone against Lucius and against Grandma. And he got them all to believe he was a dragon slayer. And you start to, like, actually believe it a little bit. Like, wow, maybe, is there actually something to phone? phony that we don't see is there actually going to be a payoff for him and then we get to this moment where we find out it's all happenstance so you're like am i seeing something that's not there or is this actually going to pay off and i think that's a good setup for the end where it's like what's what's the saying where it's like the person a person on the road to avoid their destiny is most likely to meet it and i feel like that's what's happened here with these with the rat creatures and the locust lord i'm gonna keep changing the the name every single time i say it i'm gonna find a different ruler to say and i really feel like there's gonna be a great role for phony set up in the next book because they set him up to have that role well i really feel like this was phony and thorns volumes yeah. right like last time i really might i really feel like actually it was grandma ben and phone were probably the main characters mm-hmm. and this time it was very much phony and thorn yep because we had Thorne's entire arc in volume four, where she had the moment where she starts her hero's journey. She has to reject the main quest, which she does. She has the sword, but she drops it at Bone's feet. And she's like, listen, I'm done. Everyone's like going crazy for me. I'm just going to go out into the woods and just like be. I'm going as far away as possible. And then when she realizes like, if I do that, I'm leaving my friends alone. She has the, <clears throat> not like the come to Jesus moment. She's like, okay, I'm going to get my shit together. I'm going to go back there. And when she finally gets back, she has that, amazing heroic triumphant moment where she appears at the top of the mountain and helps unite the people and save a lot of lives in the valley from the rat creatures that are invading i thought that was such a great you know it it playing from the the handbook like beat per beat right up until the moment where she starts to mistrust her mentor because normally in a hero's journey we're at the place where it's like okay we're gonna we're gonna start training now we're gonna start getting better and better this is the moment you lean on your mentor until your mentor inevitably inevitably gets killed, leaves you alone, and you have to do this on your own. But in this story, we have Thorne actively rejecting that, where she's 
inherently distrustful of the person and the people who are supposed to be her mentors, and that's put her in a very vulnerable state, which, you know, the hero is supposed to be in, but in a much different way. And I think that raised the stakes quite a bit because Thorne was very much out of her element here. She got the she got the jump on King Doc, which was great, and she wounded him greatly. Not as much as Rockjaw did when he ripped out his tongue, but she wounded him pretty damn greatly. But she did not stand a chance against Rockjaw. She got KO'd pretty hard. And she got her ass possessed. So that's what happens when you ignore Grandma Ben. I thought it was super interesting to start sowing the seeds of mistrust for Grandma Mm -hmm. Ben. Because, like, I started to doubt Grandma Ben as the reader. I was like, I do not know who to trust. And I do not like it. It's always one of the... it's, It's so hard... It's so interesting when there's a mentor who's like, you can trust me, but so clearly they have their own personal doubts, own personal secrets that they keep hidden, and it jeopardizes everything. Like, if they had been honest about, well, I guess they couldn't have been honest because they didn't know it was her sister. Did they have any reason to suspect it could have been? I don't remember if that was hinted at all. I mean, Lucius was super like, what the heck? Mm-hmm. Well, even we have the moment with Ben where she was like, I literally saw her get cut in half. She is Mm -hmm. dead. Like, there is no way. It was a great reveal with the two halves. Yeah. The locusts left her. Mm -hmm. The, like, granny wasn't lying about that. Yeah, like, she really was dead. And it was just the locusts using her body. They Darth Malder. Darth Malder ass. (sighs) It is what it is. Darth Maul would be a lot scarier if his bottom sack was just a potato bag, though. (laughs) Ah, I love his robot legs. I love Darth Maul. I fell fully into mm-hmm. that trap of our age category that he is the baddest bitch. Everyone falls for those tattoos. Those <laughs> bad boy tattoos. They do. Get you a man who has arm tattoos and little horns on his head. Uh, but th- going back to like the use of her in the story, I like that princess is a powerful word in this universe. I like that princess is something that she steps into it's a role that she takes on as an actual leader and not just someone who's you know she's royalty because we say she's royalty she's royalty because she has this awesome supernatural connection to the dreaming which by the way really cool that we keep bringing up neil gaiman in this rule to success just include a dream universe in your story and you're set everything's 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 hooked and i just think especially for the time this was coming out, like in the 2000s, when you look at how like the big two comics were treating women at the time, it was the exact opposite of this. I know we had a little bit of a discussion last episode about possible sexualization of Thorne. I didn't see any of that at all in this book. I I think that's a potential issue long past. So if you get through like those first three volumes, Thorne is just here to play from, from here on out. The war paint outfit, Ooh. The warrior outfit that was it was awesome. so hard. This these other volumes were a lot less cutesy than the other three, and I think it took me a minute to get into it because I that's what I expected from Bone was mm-hmm. the sweetness and the funny and the like little foam Bone kind of fawning after Thorn. You know, I that's what I expected based on those first three volumes, and this is not at all what that is. I feel mm-hmm. like. These were the Lord of the Rings chapters where, like, stuff was scary. Stuff was like, oh, this is kind of dire. There's a lot of conflict. And mm-hmm. 
I don't know. It left me a little bit like I thought it was good, but it didn't leave me with the warm fuzzies that I was hoping it would. And I'm not saying that's a flaw or right. something I didn't like. It just, it was a surprise to me. Mm-hmm. I think it steps on the gas very, very quickly. Cause like right at the end of volume four is when the rat creatures invade the valley. And then from volume five through volume six, it's just like pedal to the metal. We're going into what feels like a climax here where it's like the, te- the entire valley is burning. Um, the dragons can't help. Our hero is lost. Everyone's scattered to the four winds. We have a lot of big issues here. And I, I'm just imagining the fact there's three volumes left of this and just trying to think about where they're going to go. And it's, it's when you get to that point in a story, you have to kind of change the tone a little bit to keep it, keep the momentum going and to keep that pace up. And I think it does, I think it does a good job at keeping some of that humor in there because we definitely do get moments, especially in the dialogue between the characters where we still see who they used to be. I do appreciate that the story between, um, phone bone and um smiley especially felt a lot lighter than most of the stuff happening with everyone else because that felt like a breath of fresh air it definitely felt like they were allowed to be the slapstick portion mm-hmm. of the thing because as as menacing as rokja was at mm-hmm. any point um it didn't have the same stakes as the other one you know it you could kind of relax a little bit lion's not going to kill the troop of baby animals and mm-hmm. the two bones. You know what I mean? I, it reminded me of when I was a little kid reading the fable Haven series. Did either of you read fable Haven? Mm-hmm. It doesn't um, even ring a bell. What's it about? Oh, it's very good. Basically oh, these kids get invited to their grandpa's like house out in the woods and it has like kind of a spiderwick vibe to it. But they basically find out that their grandpa is like the keeper of a magical sanctuary. Okay. Like the forest behind his house has magical creatures. His barn has like magical creatures in it that you can't see unless you drink like the special milk that the fairies blessed or whatever. It's basically like classic kids get introduced to a mystical world. Mm -hmm. Um, But the big conflict of the first book is they find a witch out in the woods and this witch, she is bound to her little witch hut. And she's very scary. She's on the cover of the book. So, like, the only image that I ha- didn't imagine myself was this witch. And she's very creepy. And so she's bound with this rope that has a series of knots on it. And she tells the kids, like, I can grant witches, wishes. Witches, nice. Some little witches. Um, <laughs> but so she grants them kind of like a meaningless wish. And then one of the knots magically gets untied. And so you can see that each wish unties a knot. And so as the story goes on, the kids have increasingly serious wishes that they keep going back to this witch for until the final knot is there. And they have a very big wish that they need to get pulled off to like bring the story back around. There's not, they don't really have a good choice. And so they release the witch and she goes bonkers, man. She like, I probably reading it now would probably be funny, but like as an 11 year old or however old when I was reading it, it was the most serious threat I had ever faced in fiction (laughs) where like it really felt dire and there wasn't that much book left. And I was like, is this going to have like a scary ending? Like it was getting pretty heated for little me. And so I skipped to the end of the book to read the last few pages to see if it turned out okay. And 
It did. And so then I went back and I kept reading, but like, I felt this fear inside of me as this little boy, like, I, I don't have enough know-how to really know that this children's book is going to turn out okay Mm -hmm. because it feels so dire. And I feel like these chapters with Phone Bone and Smiley in the center were the sort of like, I know a lot's going on right now. So these are going to be extra cutesy. These are going to be extra Mm -hmm. sweet chapters to explore. And I thought that was really smart on Jeff Smith's part. Yeah. And these are the chapters where danger gets played off for humor sometimes. Because this is where the stupid, stupid rat creatures comes back in. I remember the moment where they get chased into the little hole they're trapped in. Mm-hmm. And Funny Bone's like, is he still there? And he's like, let me go check. And he goes and he looks and there's just the giant yellow eye looking in. And he's like, yeah, he's still there. <laughs> and I'm like, beautiful. That's fantastic. Because Rock and Rockjaw, just as a character, is big. He's menacing. He does some damage when he shows up to do damage, but he's a conversational villain where he like explains, he's like, I'm a bad guy and this is why I do it. It's, you know, survival of the fittest type stuff. You got to look out for number one, you know? And it's like, I don't like you. I don't agree, but I can, I can be here for this. I can read this and I'm not going to be too stressed out because it's interesting. It's fascinating to read. I think. It really is. Um, So other than, phony bone and thorn alexis can you think of any other major big players in this story we kind of touched on phone and smiley but yeah i was gonna say i feel like specifically we need to talk a little bit more maybe about lucius i feel like there's a lot that we don't get about him quite yet um i would say Sorry, my dog just made the most dramatic entrance through our sliding door. I don't know if you just heard that. <laughs> she just kicked it in like she owns the house. Um, I'm the big the, um, the big bird gif. Where just kicks <laughs> literally, the yes, she just did that. Um, <laughs> oh my gosh, sorry, but um, yeah, like Lucius. I feel like Lucius and Grandma Ben have a past that has been like slightly touched on but not explained a lot and like we even get this funny moment with like i think it was smiley that was like oh maybe no i think it might have been phony where he was like why don't you guys like like why aren't you married like what yep and she's like what are you talking about i don't know what you're talking oh, about see that read so menacing to me because it came right off of thorn being like i don't trust grandma and like there was a whole dream thing about how there was a good grandma bad mm-hmm. grandma Mm-hmm. And so then, like, I had heard about how they were sweethearts, and then Grandma was like, no, that never happened. I was like, other mother, Coraline, <laughs> oh no. I just realized, I, I'm small brain, because I just realized the other Grandma in the dream was probably referring to Briar. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Because they have yeah. the same damn face. I have such a small brain, but I'm so happy when it works. <laughs> The hamster wheel is going extra fast right now. Can you hear it? I can see the smoke coming out of your ears. I need a break. (laughs) I need brain juice. I'll be right back. Love it. That is interesting. I feel like Lucius definitely took a back seat in these volumes Mm -hmm. compared to... I kind of thought like the contest in the bar would be a bigger deal than it was. I know when he was like, yeah, we're done with that. I was like, what the fuck? No, we're not. Just I wanted some hygiene. Lost. Yeah, I you wanted some hygiene. You lost. He acting like a bitch. <laughs> we get into predictions for next for the how the story is going to end. 
I think I think Phony's going to take over that bar. Oh, I bet so. I, I think they go back to Boneville, actually. Ooh, that's interesting. I think I think Phone Bone might. I think I could see Smiley doing it, but I think Phone Sable Bone is going to stay in the village because that's what I would least expect from him. That, that that's character development. Sense. That actually does make some sense. Um, so with with our character discussion, kind of wrapping up. And do you have any thoughts about how Jeff Smith writes comedy, and maybe some of our favorite comedic bits that weren't. You stupid, stupid rat creatures. <laughs> no, that's the only one. See, see, that's the hard... I, I worked a bit of that into the conversation with Wink, because I really think that him using humor as a way to alleviate tension in what could be very, very easily a dark story is masterful. I think this is a story that, depending on how you write it and how much screen time you give to characters like like um, Keisha and Grumpy. <laughs> um, grouchy, I mean. Sorry. Don't mean to... <laughs> <laughs> to misname our own <laughs> headcanon the characters character that we named exactly um this is a book that ha- could have like a sliding age scale the story is perfect for all ages but the tone has to be accessible for children and i think that's the main goal behind the humor and i think it achieves it at almost every step i think that's mm-hmm. why a lot of the humor comes from a lot of the younger pov characters too like the orphans I love getting to see them interact with the rat creatures. I love the gag. I love the gag where they um just escaped and was like, okay, is everyone here? You, 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 you. Wait, we're missing one. And they look at the rat creatures and the rat creatures want... The first one's like, I don't have it. And then the other one's mouth is full and they find the other orphan in its mouth. And he refers to the um all the little orphans as hors d'oeuvres. Yep. Yep. That's so funny. It's... Because it shouldn't be funny if you, out of context, you say scary monster tries to eat orphan animal. It doesn't sound, you know, like the ha-ha moment of the, the little scene. But it alleviates the tension after what had previously been a very terrifying scene where they trapped against King Doc. Literally mm-hmm. back against the wall. There's a a quote. <sighs> I'm rolling my eyes because I just remembered. I think it's a quote by Joss Whedon. But it's like... Do all the horrible, despicable things you want on screen. Kill all the characters you want, but for God's sake, finish it up with a joke. Because that keeps the reader invested. Because if you piss off the reader, or if you scare the reader, or if you make the reader sad, they're not as likely to continue as they are when they're laughing. Mm -hmm. Dallas, I think you're muted. I was. Um, I found it very interesting reading some interviews from Jeff Smith that some of the story beats mm-hmm. are came out of first coming up with a joke. And so, really? like, Jeff Smith, specifically in these volumes, he really liked the idea of a very tiny tree holding a very oversized trap for, like, a squirrel mm-hmm. to catch the dragon. He thought that image was very funny. And so the entire Dragon Slayer arc and all that buildup that really is pretty important to these came out of wanting to tell that specific joke. That's that's actually really cool because usually you think of like the story coming first and the jokes coming secondhand. Where it's like, mm-hmm. okay, so I have the, the Dragon Slaying scene coming up. What would be really cute to do with this? I didn't think it... That's... Sorry, I'm just mentally unpacking that because that's the exact opposite 
of how I would approach it as a storyteller. And I'm just trying to like imagine the possibilities. I'm trying to imagine every scene that happens on the mountain happens for the same reason where it's like, what if we get as many characters as we can onto the smallest space possible Mm -hmm. and see what happens when the rat creatures jump on his back again. Yeah. Or even like we get another scene specifically when they're supposed to be like war planning in this little Mm -hmm. bush and they're like shooting cherry pits at each other and giggling mm-hmm. like children and ted is like wtf you bitches i am trying to protect you with my little spell and you guys are just shooting cherry pits at each other and giggling that was i i knew it as i was reading it I'm like this is gonna be the last human moment we see between these characters before they go off yep. to literal war i think the war aspect of this was really interesting because i think it put all the characters under a pressure cooker mm-hmm. right like Thorn had to go through her whole hero's journey from throwing it all away to embracing her destiny because she didn't really have another choice. Mm-hmm. Um, Phone Bone honestly kind of gets pushed to the side because he's almost too sweet of a character to be a part of a war. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for me, the character that was affected most by the war was Phony Bone who I feel like was is really starting to feel a heel turn in this part of the mm-hmm. story. I feel like he feels all done with being the asshole bone. And he's ready to be a little bit of a better person because mm-hmm. of the horrors that are going on around him. And I think he feels a little guilty for the dragon hunt that like put them on the back foot. They're at a disadvantage because they were following him. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually why I've turned around on phony. Cause I'm going to be honest. After volumes one through three, Phony was my least favorite character in the whole thing. <gasps> Gasp, right? I would say even because... volume six, I was like, this little bitch. You need <laughs> to I was, chill I was out. Like that the whole time. I'm just like, I don't like him. He's just an asshole. But then he starts, but sorry, let me rephrase this. When a character's an asshole, I think it really gives them the best base for the most impressive character growth. And I think mm-hmm. we really get to see that here. I love the moment where Phone is explaining why Phony is the way he is. And he's like, well, we're orphans too, and he's always had to look out for us. And I guess he just never stopped doing that, which is why he always feels like he's selfish. I think he's just trying to look out for us. Mm-hmm. That was and really that, sweet. It was so sweet, and it's such a great in-depth look at why this character is doing what he's doing. He's not just an asshole. He's someone who lost his parents and had to grow up, but in a very, very protective way. I actually really liked... Uh, Thorne's outburst at the bone. She's like, you don't know what it's like to not have your parents. Mm-hmm. And Phone is kind of like, yeah, we do. Because you realize that like, Thorne is the main character of this story, but she also is kind of the main character of her life. And mm-hmm. she hasn't ever asked the bones about their life. She doesn't know what they're like outside of the context of her. And I, I thought that was a really interesting moment where she kind of got in her place a little bit like oh oops mm-hmm. yep you are individuals outside of me because i feel like that was a that's a big part of growing up and again if a young reader is reading this there will come a point where you realize you're not the main character of everybody's mm-hmm. story brilliant stuff excellently put um lex do you want to lead us into a discussion a little bit on sort of the theme of there being more to people than meets the eye. 
I mean, sure. I feel like, I mean, the best um, example that we kind of just mentioned was how all of a sudden we're uncomfortable with Grandma Ben. Because at the beginning, she has this persona of like, oh, sweet little grandma. That's kind of tough, kind of fun. And now we're like, oh, this is this is interesting. She kind of makes us all uncomfortable. There's, there's something a little spooky here. And it just kind of helps create a fun, I guess, digging in point with characters to kind of give them more depth to what they already are on the page, which is really fun. And even just with Thorne, too, of how she is – she, she kind of doesn't want to be a princess. You know what I mean? Like, she is – she's given this opportunity and she's say like, this is who you are. This is what you have to be. And it's kind of fun to see her – I don't want to say it's kind of fun, but, like, it's interesting to see her not jump right in like we see with a lot of fantasy books. Um but I don't know. I just feel like you could kind of go in with every character and pick out little things like that, like how we think Phony Bone was an asshole. But all of a sudden, we've got the interesting thought of how he basically raised his two younger cousins. You know, it just kind of goes in depth with all of the characters like that. It's I think it's a strength of the story to be able to add that depth, not just to characters, but also to the plot and to the tone. I was um, thinking about this, talking about Phone Bone, and there's just that that change that happens when he gets injured in volume four and we see, I think it's the first time we see blood in this series on one of the main characters. And then after that, it keeps happening as the story goes on. Cause there's so many different turning points where it's like everything you thought you knew about what you were reading. We need to change it right here. We're going to turn it up exactly one notch. And we get that through so many different moments of character development. I thought, I thought funny bone had a great moment too. When we see him getting more and more attached to Bartleby and then volume five ends with him. It's a completely silent page watching Bartleby run off with the other rat creatures. And he just turns around, starts walking away. And then he turns around for one last look. Mm-hmm. And that was a moment of like maturity and like attachment that I hadn't seen in smiley bone yet. I think I might've been said it, same funny bone my bad he is a funny one <laughs> um i think it's a great moment of there being more to people than meets the eye because like <laughs> we humanize the rat creatures there is no moment in lord of the rings where all of a sudden the orcs have very cute babies that we need to go deliver to the other orcs you know what i mean mm-hmm. yep and so i just i feel like this book takes big strides to say that you might want to give people more of a benefit of the doubt than you initially thought. And I feel like these volumes in particular for a lot of characters did that. Um, I think another huge theme about like what bone has to say is about our allegiance to groups, to like blindly following charismatic leaders. I feel like that's a big theme in America right now is like people's desire or ability to just sign up for whatever somebody is saying. And I think that bone puts big efforts, particularly with phony bone um, to say, you might not want to do that. You might not want to follow them just because they're charming or just because they're convincing. I think you should do some of your own thoughts. But then I also think that with thorn, you can see that like, Distrust isn't always the best default either. Like there are some people that are worth trusting and worth aligning yourself with. 
And life is just about sorting through that. Word. <laughs> Sorry. No, that was, that was good. I didn't have any notes. No notes. I know. Perfect. I was going to say that, that was the best thing you could have said. Oh, thank you. Do we want to kind of go quick through these last few bits? Yeah. Um, I was just thinking another really great theme of the story is about how, you know, just a few great people can cause a lot of change. And that goes to, to the fact that the bones are the main characters of the story, even though the only reason they're here at all is because of random dumb luck because phones did a scheme that got way too big fell into the wrong hands and that's the only reason at all they got sucked into this conflict they have no legitimate reason to be there but yet they're having such a big effect bone um himself is having this great effect on thorn and getting her to pursue her journey i'm sure he's going to play a big role in bringing her back from whatever edge she's at right now being possessed by Mr. Locust Man. And I think Funny is going to play a big job keeping all of them together. And I think Phony is going to end up playing the hero role that the Locust was very, very terrified that he would play in the first place because the Lord of the Locust <laughs> put him there to begin with. And I think that's going to be very cool to see. I just feel like Bone consistently hits on the head in the same way Lord of the Rings does. Yep. The, the concept of by small and simple means are great things brought to pass. Mm-hmm. And at a time where I feel very small looking at like the issues facing the world, right? I I don't particularly know how to avoid nuclear warfare. I don't particularly know how to reverse a climate crisis. I don't know how to stabilize an economy so that people can have homes. Mm-hmm. and they're big things that weigh on me a lot. And I find myself more and more being drawn to these stories about how little acts of kindness, little acts of light radiate throughout a community. That like, I cannot do anything significant to change the world right now, but like I can do things that change a specific person's world. And that person can do things that will change other people's world. And I, I fully believe that us little people can have such a bigger effect on the world than we think we can. And it's through little things. And I just, I'll never get sick of that theme. There's a reason Samwise Gamgee is one of my favorite characters in all fiction. Because at the end of the day, he saved the day. Because he was kind and he was a good friend and he didn't give up on his friend Frodo. You know, if at any point Sam decided, I'm not the chosen one of this story. I'm not the main character. I give up. I'm going home. The Lord of the Rings would not have ended the way it did. Mm -hmm. And so similarly, I think that I can choose to be a little kinder. I can choose to be a little brighter. I think think if everybody in the world decided to be 3% kinder, there would be a drastic shift in the day-to-day life of billions of people. And so I I just like that theme. I like stories that have to say that, that these bones are funny little creatures that are making this very scary time in this story a little bit brighter. Like Thorn has a turn where she decides to go back to Grandma Ben and be the chosen one because she's shooting cherry pits at her friend Phone Bone. 
And he says, I think we should go. He doesn't give some great speech to her about it. He's just her friend. And he says, I think this is what's right. Mm-hmm. And I think you, the listener, I think us three here, there are plenty of opportunities in our life where we can just say, I think this is right. And lead by example that way. It's brilliant. I love it. One of my favorite themes in all fiction. Yeah, I can, I can tell that came from the heart. That was wonderful. Thank you for that. Thank you. Alexis, thanks for having us read Bone. Yeah, you're the same, man. I just pick really good comic books. I don't even remember Lock and Key. It's okay. Stop bringing that damn book up! All is forgiven. (laughs) Most is forgiven. Uh, Villains. Villains. I'm sent. The moment I buy this giant ass book and fit it on my shelf, I'll be sending you like a grumpy face, but then also a heart. Yeah, look how big this thing is. It's gonna take up so much space. It's gonna be so much money, but it's gonna be so worth it. I did smack Carson. That is that is a pretty good segue into the Glenn question of the week, Anne. Glenn, yeah. Um, so before you read that, I have a very special new thing. You're allowed to hear the debut of the Glenn question of the week theme song. <gasps> It's Glenn. Oh, that was beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. What did you what did you two think? Did you think it was It's so fitting. Glenn was, needed an intro. Glorious. What was your favorite part? I swear to God, if you do this to us right now. <laughs> I mean, listeners, you thought it was great too, right? Like I mean, I don't know why right. Anne and Lexi are being rude, but I personally thought it was really charming. Um, and do you want to read Glenn's question though? I would love to, but I do not think I have it. I don't think it's in the oh, notes. It is in the notes, Anne. Is it where? Hold it's on. Down, down low. It says listener questions. It's yeah. black. Yeah, mine's blank. Ooh, Lex, do you want to read it then? Of course I'll read Glenn's question. What an honor. <laughs> Got out of it. Sorry, oh. Glenn. <laughs> and did that on purpose. All right. Help me, Comics Collective. You are my only hope. When you guys reviewed... From hell, you advised me not to get the colored master edition. I will definitely bow to your wisdom in this regard. Bone, I believe, also was published in black and white. In that case, is it worth the extra money for the full color hardcover? Keep in mind, I do like it hardcover. <laughs> I swear to God. Okay, so I have a little bit to say about this one. So the original comic was published in black and white, which is the which is the version that both of you are reading right now. Yep. The color editions didn't come out until February 2005, and they were released between February 2005 and January 2009. So basically the whole series got re-released again in color ongoing. And there are some slight differences between the two versions. There have been some just small grammar and um, editorial changes. Just some of the words were changed. Some of the spellings were fixed. But there were also some lines of dialogue that were completely rewritten. And some pages were added and others removed. Um, there's an example in Eyes of the Storm, Thorn and Phone in the Garden talking about ghost circles. Um, that's a new version specifically for the colored books that you both wouldn't have gotten, but I did. Mm-hmm. And there's also, there's four pages excluded from the conversation between Thorn, Grandma, and Phone in Dragon Slayer, which bugs me because I'm like, I missed four pages of this. I feel cheated. <laughs> And in Rockjaw, the two rat creatures talk about the ghost circles as well, which did not happen in the original issues and black and white paperbacks. So it's it's a strange scenario because until I can get a chance to read both, I can't recommend which is better. But there's 
it's it's crazy to me that besides color that so much was added or changed from the sound of it though um you might want to stick with the black and white first because i think some of the parts of the color versions were kind of not dumbed down for kids but definitely simplified because it talks about a lot of the lines getting shortened and some of the dialogue being condensed so ultimately i'd say get the black and white version and then check out the colored versions eventually just to see the differences but the black and white one's probably the essential one. The one it was, the way it was probably meant to be read. Black and white was the one that was released with the, the more adult audience intended mm-hmm. for just comic readers. And then when Bone was shown to be a hit with kids, which wasn't necessarily intended, um, the re-release of color came with the Scholastic contract. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. totally makes sense what you're saying, Anne. Yeah, and that might be why i'm approaching it from a more like like child like perspective because that's what i was expecting reading this because it's what it feels like to me the coloring definitely feels like it you i want to say youth up the book a little bit it makes Mm -hmm. it it makes it feel more youth appropriate i think definitely so we hope that answers your question glenn there is not a hardcover of the black and white to my knowledge which i know will make you sad pretty hard but yeah i i think it's a good compendium, honestly. It's like a phone book, so you'll be fine. It is like a hey, phone book. A phone bone book. <gasps> Gasp. All right. Um, and then finally, we have a question from Brandon Pano. Um, he says, or they say, don't know if this will count because it's so simple, but what's something that happens in these volumes you would use to pitch it to someone who hasn't read the series? There's a pack of orphans. All right, so we have there's a pack of orphans, period. And <laughs> how, would you, how would you pitch this? How would I pitch this? Using exactly one thing that happens from it. Ooh, that's that's so hard because I've been pitching it as um, Imagine Lord of the Rings, but with Mickey, um, Donald, and Goofy as the trio. That's how I've been pitching it. And I think to illustrate that, I would probably go... I'd probably go with the scene where where Phony Bone catches the dragon just because that feels like the epitome of everything. It feels like the silliness of the bones, but also the return of Thorn to be to do some queen shit. I think that's that's a fun little scene to pitch. Um, I don't know that I would go from these volumes to pitch. I think the moment I was sold on this was when the snow fell on Phony Bone. Oh. See, the, I know we could pick all volumes. I was just going, fine, cheater. So from volume one, I love the montage through the desert. And then I love when the snow falls. And I think those are great examples of why this book is charming. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you, everyone that wrote in. Yeah. It was lovely. Thank you, you two, for this great conversation about Bone. Absolutely. Thanks for reading it, y'all. Awesome. This is my favorite thing to do on Sundays. So it is. Makes it so fun. Me too. All right, everyone. If you like the show and want to hear more from us throughout the week, please go follow our Twitter account at CMX Collective, or you can find each of us at our personal accounts at Dallas underscore comics, at Ann Comics, and at Lexi Lou underscore comics. If you enjoyed the show and want to show your support, please go to Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening and give us a five-star review, and we will read it off on the show. 
And finally, feel free to email us with your questions or comments, any at all. Tell me how great I am. Awesome. Appreciate it. <laughs> give some love to Lexi in Dallas, too. I'm sorry. I'm free. I'm just free versing here. Just, oh, I'll get back to it. At, email us at the show, um, <laughs> the comics collective at gmail.com. And we will see everyone on our episode for next week where we will read and go over Die. 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 (laughs) Fantastic. Uh, Alexis, do you know anything about Die? No, I don't. Have you ever played D&D? No. (laughs) Have you seen Jumanji? Of course I've seen Jumanji. Oh, you'll be fine. Imagine Jumanji meets Dungeons and Dragons. Intriguing. All right. You're okay. gonna as the little as the fantasy lover of the podcast, you're gonna love this, Lex. I do like fantasy. It's gonna be maybe the prettiest book you read all year. Ooh. And it's gonna make Anne cry. I haven't read that second to last <laughs> issue yet, and everyone's been telling me to, so I'm not prepared. How many issues are there? Twenty. 20. Okay, but, that's not bad. But they they read quick. That's not bad. They read quick. And I've got them all in comicsology. But Thank you, everybody, and bye. See ya.